For the first time in a long time, the internals of the market are improving. They're expanding. They're leaning bullish. We had two back-to-back follow-through days. That just shows you, Sean, the underlying strength that's in the market. So after a big move up, you want to give the market time to digest and consolidate. You're listening to Last Week in the Market, the podcast for self-guided independent traders. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in. I'm Sean Vincent. I am the voice of Last Week in the Market. I'll be talking soon with Adam Sarhan. He is the brains behind Last Week in the Market. Adam Sarhan's a Forbes contributor. He's the author of Psychological Analysis. He is the creator of the AMPT trading strategy. That's A-M. PD. If you've been listening to the podcast for weeks now, we've been in a defensive position. We've been in a watch and wait position. We've had a couple of fall through days in the last month and a half, but they didn't pan out last week in the market. We had two fall through days in a row, followed by a solid finish to the week, along with some good news out of the Fed and the Treasury. Adam is starting to take a uh, offensive stance, changing from his defensive stance. He says there are bullish catalysts out there that are changing the macroeconomic headwinds. But before we get to all of that, remember that in the market, the past does not predict the future. No results are typical, and there is inherent risk when trading in the market. This podcast is for educational purposes and does not constitute financial advice. It's November 6, 2023, and here's what happened last week in the market. All the major indices were up. Some had significant follow-through days. In particular, the NASDAQ and the QQQ had two follow-through days in a row. Friday's trading was good, but the volume wasn't there, and it didn't quite go up enough to have a third follow-through day. Adam's expecting a consolidation this week, but he says market conditions have changed and we've got a positive outlook for Q4. Well, hey, Adam, last week we talked about how the they, they like to say that the market takes the elevator down and the stairs up. And this week it's like taking the elevator up, isn't it? Sometimes it does. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. So we spoke about last week, the last two weeks, actually, the fact that the rubber band was really stretched, the market was oversold. We had the chance of a big crash, but what I noted in the reports multiple times in the last several weekend reports is the probability of that happening are extremely, are low, not extremely low, are low, and the probability of a rally is much higher. And one that ended up happening, we got a rally. So... I don't know that the market's going to rally. All I know is that you've got the S&P sitting on the 200-day. You had sentiment readings very bearish. Mm-hmm. Remember the recent report, we had the CNN Fear and Greed Index, and it went to extreme fear. So think of the red light, green light thing, where in the summer it was extreme greed. So after a green light, which is extreme greed, those re- indicators get overbought and they're too bullish. Well, all right, the market pulls back. Then the market pulled back, and then it went too far in the bearish direction, now you've got extreme fear. That's a red light when it goes down, mm-hmm. and the green light when it goes back up. Well, most likely, it's going to go back up again. Could crash, but it, that doesn't often happen. Happened in 1929, happened in 87, a little bit during COVID, but snapped right back. And that was really maybe one or two other small flash crashes along the way, but that's really it. So for us, it's really, really important to just 
It's a game. It's a business game. It's all about understanding the fact that anything is possible, but we have to focus on what is probable. So this week so far for the NASDAQ anyway, we had two followed through days in a row and we're recording this at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. It's not inconceivable that we're going to see a move of more than 1.5% today in that industry. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no, a very good point, John. So, the follow through day, we get a new rally attempt. What is a follow through day? People might be asking. Well, you get a rally attempt in, when the market's going down and you need it to be confirmed. A con- confirmation be a big up day after day three of a new rally attempt. So, first things, the, the market stops going down. So it starts going up. You get an up day. Well, all right. Then you just start counting the days. As long as the low of that up day isn't undercut or taken out, then you keep counting. So day two, day three, day four, so on and so forth. If that low is undercut, then the market's going down. This is not rocket science, right? It's really simple. But if the market's going to go up, you want to see a confirmation of that follow-through day. With a follow, excuse me, you want to see that confirmation of the rally attempt with a follow-through day. Well, all right. That'd be a gain of at least 1.5%, but sometimes it goes lower to 1.3% or more on heavier volume than the prior session anytime after day three of a rally attempt. That's a follow through day. Well, we got that in the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, and I'm going to use that because we could trade that as an ETF. It's liquid. We, you know, It's very easy for people to understand it. And then we got it again. So we had two back-to-back follow through days. And we're on track now for, it could be a third follow through day. That just shows you, Sean, the underlying strength that's in the market. What happened this week fundamentally that caused this, the market was looking for a bullish catalyst. I think I was on talking to CNBC or Barron's or I can't remember which one, but I had a busy week with a lot of different reporters in the media. And somebody had asked me a question. I was like, oh, Adam, what's going on? I said, the market's looking for a bullish catalyst. And it got two, one from the Fed on Wednesday and the other one from the Treasury, which is yet, you know, Janet Yellen's the head of the Treasury and Jay Powell's the head of the Fed. So there's two big market lingo, you know, lingo words I'm going to throw out here. One is hawkish and one is dovish. Mm -hmm. Hawkish means that the Fed's tightening or things are being more, you know, they're they're the opposite of easy money. They're they're constricting things. And then dovish is just easy money. They just... They're doing what they can to stimulate the economy and by definite or by extension, stimulate the stock market. So the Treasury Department, which is really, really important in our world, and the Federal Reserve are the two elephants in the room. You don't get much bigger than those in the whole world, not just in the U.S. And both of them surprised the market with dovishly this week. And both happened on Wednesday. And that's when you saw the very heavy buying kick in. And the first follow-through day. Then we saw another follow-through day yesterday and a possible third update or follow-through day today. Either way, it's a very, very strong reaction. You needed the bullish catalyst. We got it with a somewhat dovish Fed and a somewhat dovish Treasury Department. That, Sean, I can't emphasize the importance of following the Fed and understanding that they're very slow to move. Right. So if they're going to shift their policy from interest raising rates, raising rates, a hawkish phase, which it's been in for, you know, ever since they started raising rates a while ago to fight inflation, it's going to stay dovish for a long time. And that, Sean, could be very bullish for the stock market. 
that's the bullish catalyst. Prior to this week, the last time the Fed spoke and they decided not to raise interest rates, they kind of telegraphed, like, we're not raising them now, but we're probably going to raise them again later. And then this time they met, they came out and said, we're not raising interest rates now. And we might be done for a while. And that, and that clearly struck the markets. Like all the indices seem to be having a good week this week. It, it, it was massive. So the small micro caps, as we've been speaking for a while, have been underperforming. Right. And they they showed up and they showed up in spades and performed because higher interest rates really hurt the bottom line for those small and micro cap companies, even mid cap stocks. And because they count on borrowed money more than the correct. other companies do. Correct. Yeah. So what happens is you have a situation now where the for the first time in a long time, the breadth, the internals of the market are improving. They're expanding. They're leaning bullish. And you seasonality, this, the end of the year tends to be a very positive time for Wall Street. Enter any reason you want. They call it the Santa Claus rally the last week of, you know, the last few weeks of December. Either way, November and December, Thanksgiving and Christmas tend to be a very bullish period for the market. So when you come into it very oversold, like we saw in October, actually the market fell in August, September and October. Mm -hmm. And you're very oversold. New, remember the, the? I don't know if you took a look at the weekend report or not, but I showed a lot of the internal stuff. The if you remember this from, the, I know you read the weekend report, but this specific chart from the weekend report was the percent of stocks in the S and P 500 above the 50-day moving average fell all the way down to almost single digits. And that chart, I've been following that for almost 20 years now, is one of the best indicators that a snapback rallies right around the corner whenever it gets below 15 or even 12. And it got as it fell hard. It went almost to single digits. So that coupled with the extreme pessimism out there and the extreme fear on that CNN fearing index, that to me was like, okay, the conditions are ripe for a rally. I didn't know what the Fed was going to do. I didn't know if the Fed was going to and the Treasury was gonna, what they were going to do. But coming into it, I knew that the environment was ripe for a big rally to unfold if they were dovish. And I said that, and that's what happened. So we're it worked out well. Sure. And so we've been talking about macroeconomic headwinds for a while, and we're starting to, those headwinds are starting to ease up. The The broader market environment is becoming more encouraging for growth. Yeah, for sure. The, the jobs report came out this morning, and it was slightly under expectations. And one of my biggest things, I said it this morning, the pre-market report, Sean, is that in order for the Fed for inflation to stop. What's happening here? Let's just peel back the onion. The Fed is fighting inflation. So in order to stop inflation, it needs to slow down the economy. The way it does that is by raising interest rates. Plain and simple. The goal there is to slow down the economy. So demand slows down. Therefore, inflation comes down. Very simple concept. Okay. What is the single most important thing? The biggest part of the economy is consumer spending. Well, if consumers all have jobs, and there's a surplus of several hundred thousand jobs being created every month, which is the case. And the economy is humming, right? We saw GDP come out almost 5%, which is incredibly strong for an economy this large. We saw, I mean, a lot of the other economic indicators, just the economy strong. Everyone thought that we'd go into a recession. It's not happening. It hasn't happened yet, at least. Okay, people still have jobs. The housing market, exceptionally strong. A lot of things have deflated in their price. Some things, not even a lot of things, some things have, but one of the biggest things is housing, shelter, 
housing prices, the real estate market are still tremendously high, mm. all near all time high, if not all time high. There was an article on Bloomberg the other day. It said the impossible housing market where new buyers and many people that are families that want to buy a new house, either they can't because they can't afford it, number one, or two, they own a house and their interest rates are so low at two or three percent. I think the average mortgage the interest rate now is around three and a half percent and new mortgages are eight percent. They they're locked in. They can't sell because the new higher they can't afford the monthly payment on the higher right. interest rate. So the one missing link for me has been the job. The, the one thing that hasn't happened is the Fed can't say they want the economy to lose jobs directly because that's it's almost it's just not it's not going to be received well. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I've been looking for is for jobs to come down, and if people start not so much losing their jobs, but if they don't have the ability to just spend like there's no tomorrow and no, yeah, it's okay. I'll get a job. I know a guy's got four jobs, four full-time jobs working remotely. And the guy makes, I think three, $400,000 a year, four jobs. It's insane. So now it's not working, by the way, those aren't McDonald's type jobs where he's working shifts and, and low, you know, low level. these are four six figure jobs. I think one's like seven, seven, 75,000. And the other ones are all six figure jobs. So, that's not sustainable. And as long as people have jobs, they're going to pay their mortgage. If they lose jobs and they're going to buy things, by the way, not just mortgage, they're going to buy things. Therefore, demand stays strong. Therefore, inflation stays high. Right. They lose their jobs or jobs aren't created. Guess what? Demand comes down. Inflation comes down. The Fed's job is done. So the jobs has been the missing link. Today, we saw the jobs a little bit below expectations, which is a step in the right direction. We still added 150,000 jobs, but... It was below expectations. And that's good news from your point of view because of what it's going to do to the stock charts that we want to use to make money in the market, right? 100%. So when you have a situation where it's not bad news, I don't want anyone to lose their job. I don't want to have people, you know, 2008 all over again. I lived through that. I remember the dot-com bubble burst and the 2000 to 2002 economic situation. And I've studied history. I don't want people to lose their jobs and have a big, huge crash. But I understand that inflation needs to come down because if you have rampant inflation, you can look at some countries in the world. I mean, look at Turkey. Their central bank has interest rates at 35%. We're at five and change. So, and by the way, they have rampant inflation. Rampant. There's other countries around the world where they devalue their currency just to keep their economic system from collapsing today. That's not 50, 100, 2,000 million years ago. That's literally today. So rampant inflation is a massive, massive, massive problem. We don't, thankfully, we don't have rampant inflation, but we have inflation where it's above the 2% rate that the Fed looks for. And the Fed caused it, no question. They know that. They kept rates low for too long. So now they've got rates high. And they want to make sure that they don't make the mistake again and lower rates too fast. And then inflation comes back again. Because you can have a situation where this happened in the 70s where you had a little bit of a dip in inflation. They thought it was over. And then, bam, it shot right back up again. Mm-hmm. So they want to make sure that when they do cut rates, whenever they do in 24 or 25 or whenever, that they've given them the economy, Main Street, enough time to let that inflation work itself out and come down back to their target of 2%. So we talk about 
in your book, Psychological Analysis, you talk about it's not really why that's important. It's what the market's doing. So you've given us, but, and it's not that why is not ever important, especially when we're trying to look at what the, the market conditions are, the M in AMPT, but um, practically what an AMP trader wants to know right now is, uh, should I be concerned that there's too much buying and I'm going to see a big drawback from this? Or are there advanced entry points that we're seeing here? And is it time for an AMP trader to start considering new positions going forward? Oh, great question. So to answer that question, I literally put out a special report on Wednesday with the first follow through day with a video with a bunch of ideas, actionable ideas, the day the market was breaking out and getting going. And then we had another one yesterday. I did another special report yesterday before the close. And I gave another, I think, dozen or so ideas that are actionable ideas to choose from. So now, after the big move up, I would be cautious because we just had a huge rally. I don't like to buy after a big move up, but amped traders that came in this week, and you go back and look at all my stuff, it's an open book, go back and read last week's report, listen to our, our podcast from last Friday. Mm -hmm. And you can see, hey, the conditions are ripe, be ready for that red light to turn green. And if they were ripe and they were paying attention, which I know many have because we received a lot of emails this week with just huge thank you emails. The guy sent me an emoji with the heart. Are there new breakouts? Yes. You have, and by the way, they're all going to be in the weekend report this weekend. Mm -hmm. Look for stock. I mean, the big message I have since we started this quarter is look for stocks that react well to earnings. That's the message. You looking for new ideas? You want amp setups? You've got them. We've given them to you. They're all over the reports. And look for the earnings winners. And by earnings winners, I don't mean stocks that beat expectations or raise guidance. I'm talking about one thing and one thing only, the what that's happening, the big gap ups. I want to see the stocks, even if they don't have the earnings. By the way, let's say the earnings weren't up 200% year over year or up 20% or more. That's okay because many times the stock moves first and the earnings follow. You could look at NVIDIA as a perfect example of that. So I do love to see earnings. So I'm a sucker for earnings. But many times, to me, price is primary. Everything else is secondary. Right. So find those earnings winners and then look for those early entry points or the advanced, the A and AMP is the advanced entry points. And then make sure you're buying at prudent times, but always respect risk. Super, super important. Last week, our podcast was titled Waiting is Watching. And we talked about how it's great. A follow the day is great. But if you're only paying attention, then then you might miss the real opportunity. And kind of what I heard you say right there is that subscribers to the FindLeadingStocks.com newsletter on Wednesday got actionable ideas on breakouts while the market was moving. We had our follow through day. It's potentially now on Friday that the market might be overextended. It's not as great a time to get in. Yeah, with one addition there is that they got the every week, Sean, the whole idea is to give members new ideas. Right. So they're always prepared. So I do the work for them. We got the, the leader stocks, we've got the strongest stocks in the market, and then we break them down by market cap. Bill, legendary investor uh, and rest his soul, Bill O'Neill was the one who did that. And he taught me that where I would see him do it with his, his institutional research, where he would take the time to separate the winners. He had a leader's list. And then he'd say, okay, here are the big cap leaders, then small and mid cap leaders. 
And I, I found in my own research before I even knew he did that, that that was a really helpful way of me focusing on leadership. So every week I give members those ideas, plus I go through the earnings winners, plus I give them other leaders that are setting up before they break out. Because anyone can tell you, oh, this stock broke out, big deal. What we're looking for, Sean, is the aid and the advanced entry points is find those stocks that are getting that are setting up and getting ready to break out. So before the fall of they even happened, we've been talking about the fact that, hey, this is very high likely that this is going to happen. And here are some ideas. So you can go back to the weekend report. So you don't have to play Monday morning quarterback and scramble and all that kind of stuff. So when you see the market start making its move, you go back to your newsletter, you already see some ideas of things that were setting up well. And you can make your choices then. Yeah. So Ben Franklin's got a great line. He goes, it, you, I'm going to say my version of it. And then I'll say what his is. You prepare to win or you prepare to fail. It's very simple. So he says, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Again, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Okay. Every week we're prepared. Right. That doesn't happen here. We're preparing to win. It's very simple. So before the fall today even happens, you've got a list of leaders. You've got the strongest stocks in the market. You know what's setting up. So when the fall today comes, all you have to do is look at the weekend report. The work's already done for you. And bam, find your stocks that you're interested in and you're good to go. All right, everybody. That's the podcast. Thanks for listening through so far this morning, Monday morning, the 6th. Most of the indices are up slightly. We'll be watching for that consolidation Adam warned us about. We'll be back next week with more. Until then, as Adam always says, keep your losses small and let your winners fly. To me, price is primary. Everything else is secondary.